you have done for us Lord Jesus and we thank you Lord we want to give you truly all honor and all praise because you alone are worthy God and Lord I ask that you truly soften our hearts now and and help us to receive your word Lord not just to be hearers of it but truly be doers as well Lord and we thank you in Jesus name amen you may be seated good morning family church before the worship team leaves I'm going to throw you a quick one um at the end of the service, can we do that song after the message? It plays in perfectly to uh, everything I'm going to be sharing today, and it would be great to leave on those truths. Um, last week, preached uh, in Ephesians, and we talked about a lot of different things in regards to God's Word. And I was encouraged to hear from so many of you. Can we turn this down a little bit? It's a little hot. Um, encouraged from so many of you that you came and you really had a lot of questions. You're really digging into, why do I believe this? Why? Um, what do I believe about prophets? What do I believe about apostles? What do I believe about God's Word? Is God's Word really sufficient in every area of my life to answer everything I'm going through? So, so encouraged to hear so many of you, yes, yes, God's Word is sufficient. And so last week we talked about everything we need for life and godliness is found in his word. We looked at how the office of a prophet is no longer in existence, the office of an apostle, because we have God's completed word. There is no new revelation that God is giving us apart from what he has already gave us. And so we can understand and we can see dangers when people come and say, hey, this is new from God. We can say, well, if it lines up with God's word, then we already have it. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, we can say, no, that's false teaching. And so those are some principles we learned last week. We're going to, this morning, be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you uh, just turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 17, working our way through 21. And some of you may realize Pastor Terry has preached on these verses a little bit, um, the first couple of verses, and that's okay. We're not going to exhaust God's word because Pastor Terry already preached on them. There's tons of application and principles for us this morning. So I'm going to be beginning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understandings, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. 
Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning before we begin? God, we thank you for your truths. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we we pray that we may hear from you this morning. Your word is effective. May we hear it. May you change our hearts. May you change our thinking. God, may you change our lives because of that. You have something to teach every single one of us. Help us to understand the gravity that we are here to hear from you, the creator of all of heaven and earth. You desire relationship with us. You have given us mercy. You've given us grace. You've given us love that covers over all of our sins. God, what an incredible privilege it is to be able to sit under your teaching. God, we pray that we may speak your word faithfully and hear it accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the ancient Greeks in their culture, in the city of Ephesus, which is where this letter was wrote, were some of the greatest thinkers of their day. They were outside-of-the-box thinkers. Um, They were doing things nobody else in the world at the time was doing. They were some of the first ones to come up with a democracy. Everybody else was ruled by kings or queens and different things going on, dictators, and they were coming up with a democracy. They, They pursued study. They pursued science. They pursued arts. They pursued writing, math. They pursued all of these things in a, in a thinking that their intellectual ability was somehow going to raise them above their struggles. It was going to free their mind. And we many times in our culture today do the same thing. Our technological advancements or our philosophy in our theories that we come up with. And at the very same time, those in Ephesus in that culture and today, we are trading away truth for foolishness in the pursuit of those things. We continually trade truth for foolishness the farther we pursue intellectual ability. And we're going to see that in these passages. So beginning in verse 17, we're just going to work through the passage. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. So here's a command given to us in the church. Don't do this. What is it telling us not to do, church? Don't do what? Let's try that again. It's telling us not to what? Okay? Live as the Gentiles. Walk as the Gentiles. So Gentiles in the scripture just means an unbeliever, someone who's lost. And so how did unbelievers live? Well, they actually lived a long time ago just like they live today. And we're going to see that. It's the exact same thing. And scripture doesn't leave us wondering how unbelievers lived 2,000 years ago. It actually is going to show us 2,000 years ago how unbelievers lived. And so beginning in verse 17, towards the end it says, No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Point number one, unbelievers walk in the futility of their minds. So that word futility is frustration, uselessness, meaningless. Meaning those who are outside of Christ, they're walking, they're living in a way that has no purpose. Their thoughts and their actions are useless because there's no goal to them. They don't get traction. Why do unbelievers not get traction in their life? Because they're not going anywhere. They're going for themselves. There's no ultimate purpose, but we as Christians do have an ultimate purpose. We do have a plan. We do have a a place where we are going. Continuing in the verse, it says, don't walk like them, so don't talk like them. In the futility of their minds, verse 18, 
They are darkened in their understanding. Point number two, unbelievers, those who are outside of Jesus Christ, are darkened in their understanding. What are they darkened in their understanding about? Everything? Anything? Well, that's basically what Scripture is saying because it doesn't specify in this one area. It just says their understanding is darkened, all of it. That's what it says. Continuing on, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Point number three, unbelievers are alienated from God because of ignorance. So to summarize here, we have unbelievers, those who are not Christians, they have futile thinking, darkened understanding, and they're ignorant. Very nice words, right? But they're truth. They're truth. What is Scripture focusing on with these three points? There's a common denominator, and I want us to see here, because if I told you, don't live this way, don't do these things, you would be looking for actions, right? What, what should I not do? What should I not say? But Scripture, it just gave us three points, and they weren't actions at all. What were they all based on? They were all based, the common denominator of all three of these things was not actions, but what, church? Question for you. Somebody? Okay, it was a command, but it was not just actions these unbelievers had. It was their what? Thinking. It was their thinking. It says, don't do what they're doing. And so we're automatically right. What do we not do? What do we not do? And then it says, they're darkened in their understanding. They have a futile mind and there's ignorance in them. All three of those things are not actions. They're thinking, they're thought patterns. And so what we need to understand here is that Scripture, and and Paul here is not just talking about what they're doing, but actually how they think. Let's continue on. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up. Here's the actions. To sensuality, greediness, to to practice every kind of impurity. So the progression that we see is Wrong thinking leads to every kind of sinful behavior. That's the next point, point number four. Wrong thinking leads to every kind of sinful behavior. So it's not just saying, don't do what the Gentiles are doing, don't do what the unbelievers are doing, but don't think like the unbelievers are thinking. And he says, here is their thinking. And so as we progress through this, this is why we need to understand that when we come to church, we're not learning how to live more like Christians. What are we actually learning? We're learning how to think like Christians. And a lot of times, for a long time, church is emphasized and people come to church. I mean, if you ask most people out on the street, how do Christians, you know, what do you think of a Christian? They will have a mindset of somebody who's trying to act a certain way. And to be a Christian, to fit into the Christian mold, means you don't do this, you don't do that, you do do this, you do go to church, you don't do these things, you associate with these people and not those people. All of those things are doing, they're actions. And Scripture is saying, listen, right thinking precedes right actions. And that is the essence. We come to church because theology matters. Doctrine actually matters. Christian understanding matters. And that's Parents, grandparents, listen, if you're a grandparent, you have a lot of say, you may or may not think you do, but you do have a lot of influence in the life of your children and in the life of their children. Parents, God has given you not just to teach your children how to become upstanding citizens in the world 
and to get married and have a successful job and own a house. And if they live on Marco to own a, a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a pool, okay? So it's, it's not any of those things. We don't have a pool. We're one of the anomalies on Marco that doesn't have a pool. Um, but it, it's not about behavior. It's actually about thinking. And so this is why for, I can say, thousands of years that parents and Christians have done something called catechism. Now, if you've grown up in any other type of um, Christian denominations, you might have heard catechism, and it immediately brings, like, bad thoughts and feelings to you. But let me, let me just summarize. Catechism is basically question and answer. It's question and answer-based Christian theology. That's it. So the things of, you know, you have to go through catechism before you become a Christian, and once you've gone through catechism, you're ready to be a Christian. All of that stuff is, is, is not good. Catechism is instruction. It's Q&A. So, for example, on the ride home today, parents, you can ask, why do we go to church? That's a great question to ask your children. Ask your teenagers. Ask your spouse. Hey, why do we go to church? Last week, I preached on one of the reasons you come to church. A great example, because it should come from Scripture. Why do we go to church? To be equipped to do what? The works of ministry. That's why we go to church. To learn right thinking. That'd be another great answer. So catechism, catechizing each other is learning right thinking. And we work through that. So we're supposed to be doing that all the way through. So when we realize that Paul is not emphasizing behavior, he's emphasizing right thinking, it begins to make some of these verses we're about to look at come alive. Look with me in verse 20 of Ephesians 4. He goes on to say, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, he's emphasizing here knowledge, theology. That's not what you learned. And it's not about behavior. It's actually about your thought process. He says, as Christians, church, you've learned differently. Your thinking has been changed. That's not the way you learned Christ. Point number five, Christians live differently, not just because we act differently or behave differently, but because we think differently. We've been taught differently. Terry and I, as I preached last week, our job as pastors, according to God's word, is to equip the saints, you, for the works of ministry. And I was encouraged that a lot of you really felt challenged, like, man, how much ministry am I really doing? Because in reality, Terry and I are supposed to be equipping you, and the church body is supposed to be doing the vast majority of ministry outside of Sunday morning. We're all to go out and do ministry. Your neighbors who are struggling, your friends who are struggling in different areas, you and your spouse, you, all of us are doing ministry together. And so it's our job to equip you. And we try very intentionally as we teach on Sunday morning from God's word, we go verse by verse. And, and we want to show you actually not just the points, but how we got to the points. And that's very important. How we actually came to the conclusions that we're coming to. And one of the things that I love about God's Word is as you begin to study it and you dig into it, you know, you will be reading and you'll read something and you'll ask, why, why did it say that? And when you take the time to ask some of these questions, a lot of times, either right before what you read or right afterwards, it'll say something like, this is why this was said. Or it'll say, you know, you ask the question, what does that mean? And then maybe right after that, the disciples will say, Jesus, what does that mean? It, it's a lot of times right there. Don't live this way. And then you're like, what way? 
And then it goes on to say, here's how you're not to live. It's very practical. It's very theologically minded. It changes your thinking. Well, you read something. Well, what does that mean? How should that change my life? A lot of times right after it will say, therefore, no longer live this way, but live this way. And so we want to show you that we're not just pulling concepts out of the air. We're actually showing from God's word what it's actually teaching to change our thinking. So I want us to go back in verse 17. We're going to do an overview of what we've learned and then continue on. Verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk. There's a command. What is the command? As the Gentiles do. Unbelievers. Well, how do they walk? It goes to display their thinking. Here's how they walk. Futility of their minds. Darkened understanding. Alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of their thinking, Scripture goes on to say, they have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Their wrong thinking led to hardened hearts, sinful behavior. And this was the culture that Ephesus was entrenched in. Is if I could just learn more, I can rise above the frailties of humanity, sinful nature, and just get more truth. If I could just be a student of truth. Listen, truth today, that concept of truth is still sought after in so many different religions around the world. You know, if I just attain to a spiritual level of truth, when a lot of times they don't even know what truth is. In our culture, I mean, because of this, people live in conflicting worldviews. I would say billions and billions of people. Billions of people live in a conflicting worldview. They believe one thing, yet they do another. And I was just talking with somebody a couple of months ago, and this person wasn't saved. I was trying to show them their faulty worldview. And for instance, they, they said, I don't believe in God. There is no such thing as God. By definition, when somebody says that, they can no longer and, and first, why am I sharing this with you? Because you, we want you to be equipped to go do the works of ministry. If you're doing your job, you're going to talk to these people too, right? It's not, hey, this is a story about how Casey went and talked to somebody. This is actually a story to help you learn how when you go talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God, you can show them they're living in a false worldview. So, for example, you don't believe in God. Is there such thing as morals? Is there such thing as truth? And they said, no, there's no such thing as morals. If you don't believe in God, you are the supreme authority and you live for yourself. And so I said, let me, let me, let me share with you because always everybody they live into, they say this, but they believe and live this way. I gave them an example. I said, okay. I said, do you have a family? They said, yeah. You know, they have some brothers and sisters still living at home. This was a, a younger college age person. I said, what if, for example... I said, are you sure people should just pursue what they want to do? Truth? Yes, absolutely. So I said, okay, let's say your family's group A. I said, let's say group B is a group of guys. They're bigger, stronger, faster, and there's more of them than your family. Let's say what is truth for group B is that they like to steal, kill, rape, and destroy. That's, and there are people like that, right? That's what that's what drives them. They like to do those things. They find enjoyment in them. I say, let's decide they pick your house. And they're going to go into your house. They're going to do all the things that they want to do. Is that right or is that wrong? I said, if they did that to your home, 
And they caught them in the judicial system. They stood before the judge. And the judge asked them, you know, why did you do this? And they said, seemed like a good idea at the time. That's what we wanted to do. And I asked this person, I said, if the judge looked at them and said, hey, there's no such thing as truth or morals, I'll let you go. I said, would that be okay with you? And they're like, no. What, what are they appealing to all of a sudden? Now they're calling for justice. Now they're calling for morals to be standing. Now they're calling for right and wrong. But in their worldview, they say there's no such thing as right and wrong. And here's where things really can get dicey. When people begin to realize that they are living in a broken worldview, one, they change, which is good. Sometimes they change and realize there is a God. Or two, they commit intellectual suicide and they force themselves to believe something that is absurd. They force themselves to believe something that they would agree to just to maintain intellectual stability. And I have a quick video that I'd like to show you. And this is just out on the street. You can go talk to these people and, and they will answer some of these things. So here's a quick video for us to see this intellectual suicide. Do you believe in evolution? Yes, I do. You have a dog? Yes. Love your dog? I do love my dog. Yes, I do. I love animals. Okay. Well, your pet dog and your rotten neighbor are drowning. You can only save one of them. Who would you save? Hmm. That is a tough one. You only save one? Mm-hmm. Why are you hesitating? Oh, I think I would save my dog. I don't, I don't know why I'm really hesitating. Because I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like people would see me as a bad person if I said the dog. Mm, I'll save my dog. So... Is your neighbor not worth saving? Well, he's not worth saving more than my dog is. I'd go with the dog. Yeah. I mean, you, you would want to save the animals. So I, would want to, I would want to save my dog. Well, we're animals. I believe we're all equal. I don't think humans have, like, a higher, like, place. So you think uh, dogs are more valuable than human beings? Do you believe in evolution? Yes, I do. I so do. it's just a matter of survival of the fittest. Your neighbor's a, a primate, and you've got a canine, and you like the canine more than you like the primate. Would that be right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, survival of the fittest. I mean, um, survival of the fittest. Yeah, pretty much. You said you believe in evolution. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of survival of the fittest. Yeah. If he drowns, he drowns. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is true. <laughs> Are you an atheist? Uh, yeah. Any fetus is less human than an adult pig. Richard Dawkins. So you don't think God exists? Um, more like I know. Are you comfortable talking about spiritual things? I don't know much about them because they're not really capable of knowledge. Once we're dead, we stop that. We stop. How that. do you know? Because it's just it's just what the facts are. Like when if if you stopped breathing right now, you'd be considered dead. Jacob, if you were a car and your motor got turned off, that'd be right. That's an animate. But you're a living, biological human being with a life of God in you. We are a mechanical being because we have different parts that. Is there no life in you? Yes, there's life in me. That's your soul. These people are willing to, to say, wait, if, if I do believe in evolution, then everybody's equal. And, and I know I've talked with people who take this standard of, no, there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as morals. And ask them the tough questions when you're talking to these people. And, and they will be forced, do I really live in this worldview or am I willing to really make this commitment? And I mean, one of the questions I've asked is, okay, so you're telling me that rape and starvation and child molestation could be right in some circumstances. And I've had them tell me, 
Yes, in some circumstances, those things are okay. What has happened? They've realized there's a conflict, and in order to stay in their worldview, they must admit that those things, there's no such thing as truth. Another question, is somebody actually able to say there's no such thing as truth? If you're talking to somebody and they don't believe in truth, they don't believe in morals. Listen, when they've made that claim, you you very easily can share with them, are you sure that's true? There's no such thing as truth. And they will assuredly say, I'm sure. And you can tell them you've just defeated your argument. Because to say there's no such thing as truth, you're making a truth claim that there's no such thing as truth. Do you see this? And so people, that would be like me saying, I don't believe in words. I, don't, I just don't believe in words. And a lot of times as Christians, we're just like, oh, yeah, you don't. And we don't even, we don't even question the ridiculousness of their answer. We need to say, time out. You do. And here's some examples You can never, I mean, if you don't believe in God, you don't believe in morals, you don't believe in right and wrong, you can never appeal and say, I was wronged. That wasn't right in this situation. And this goes back to your thinking. This is why Christians, I mean, we do have a source for truth. So where do we get truth? What is right? What is wrong? Some would say there's no such thing as truth, as we've seen. Others would say we can't know truth. They can't say that, right? Because if we say we can't know truth, they're making a truth claim, and they do know some truth. Uh, they say only others have truth. The world, only creation has truth. Listen, all of those things are futile thinking. We have God's word that tells us what truth is. Look with me in verse 20. It says, that is not the way you've learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, And point number six, the truth is in Jesus. It's not, let's search for truth. Jesus came and said, I am the truth, and the truth is in me. It's not found in college campuses. It's not found in textbooks. It's not found in science or theologies or anything else. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the climax of all of this. It's based on our thinking, and then it sums up the truth is found in Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, we come to church and we study the Word of God not to learn about how to do things, but to learn right thinking of how it changes our life. A quick example of this, Sir Arthur Keith, a renowned evolutionist, listen to his quote, Evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. So it's not even dealing with the facts that he knows it can't be proved. But he would rather base his life on that than special creation. Because when you step over into believing that there's a God, there becomes responsibility. All of a sudden, God who is holy and just, and we're going to have to give an account to one day for everything we've ever thought, said, or done, all of a sudden there is a holy God who's going to require us to do something about that. And they don't want to deal with that. And the truth of that is, listen, Christ has came and has washed those things away if you just believe and trust in him. It's like the two greatest truths that we're going to get to shortly. But the climax of all of this is that the truth is found in Jesus Christ. With your Bibles, turn over a couple of pages. We're going to go to Colossians. And I want us to see this Colossians chapter 2. And beginning at the end of verse 2, beginning of verse 3. It says this, 
Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures. Listen to what it says. All the treasures. Not just some of them. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why did he say this? There's that question. Verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's why we've been given truth. Is because God doesn't want us wandering around as blind children. He's given us truth. Turn a couple of pages to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, Christians, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Listen, your mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, we're not going to go into it, but it's the same question and answer thing. And then it says, because of these things, because you can set your mind on things above, it goes on and says, put to death these things. Don't live this way. So scripture is very systematic in, listen, change your thinking. And because your thinking's changed, here is how you now live. We can set our minds now on things above. Not futile thinking, not worthless thinking, but things above. Instead of our understanding being darkened as it was in believers, Christians, now we can have enlightenment. Now we can be enlightened. We see Saul, whose eyes were blinded, and then God removed the scales from his eyes to where he could now see spiritual things. There's no need to turn there, but listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it's himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If, if you and I are able to learn anything about God, that is a miracle. And every time we learn something new about God's character or about ourself or theology or doctrine or anything like that, we need to understand, listen, that's not because of our hard work. It's not because of our hard study that we put in. It's because of God's grace that we have learned anything about him. Okay? It's not because, listen, I put in 17 hours and now I know what this book means. Or now I know what this word in the scripture means. It's because God has chosen to reveal himself to you. He's given you his word. And we can grow in that. And it's for our thinking. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind? What comes into your mind when we talk about theology and doctrine? Something to think about. We're alienated, or we used to be alienated from God in ignorance. In Ephesians chapter 2.18, it says, for though we both have access to him, And in Ephesians 3.12, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So before, we couldn't approach him because we are alienated from God. And now, because we are in Christ, it says we can freely approach God. Listen, when you understand in your thinking that God is not alienated from you, but you are a son or a daughter of God, the one who created the whole universe, you're able to approach him In humility, but also in boldness and confidence because the blood of Jesus Christ has washed you. That changes a lot of things in your life. 
And it's because of your thinking. It's because of your theology. So what we need to see here is Jesus Christ, the truth is in him. Jesus Christ brings true life change. We're not just talking about behaviors. We're talking about our thinking. The battleground is in our mind. And I'm not talking about mental illness or mental sickness because truth be known, all of us have mental illness and sickness and it's called sin. And it's all within us. And God is saying, I'm giving you truth to confront the things that are in you so you can learn what is good. This is why we were told in John 8.32, and if you know it, say it with me, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we sang about that this morning, that the truth is the thing that sets us free. Why does it set us free? Because it gets rid of the old thinking and it brings in new thinking. We can know truth. It's in a person and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. One day, every single one of us will have to give an account before God of everything we've ever thought wrongly, said or done, and we know what those things are that are sin. That's a horrible truth, right? And it's truth. There is such thing as a place called hell. But the greatest truth is that Jesus Christ came, died, suffered, rose again, conquered victory, conquered death, so you can now be set free from those things that once enslaved you. That's what it means to have the truth. And the truth to set you free is because you understand what God has done for you and you submit yourself to those things. So I, I want to ask a couple of questions of us. Do we submit ourselves to the authority? It is the teacher way up here, and we are the student. Do you consider yourself a student of God's Word? Think about that. A student. That means you're submitting yourself in humility and humbleness. That I am nothing, this is everything. If I have a thought that goes against Scripture, it should be destroyed as soon as I realize that Scripture says something different. That's what it means that I'm submitting myself to God. This is not just suggestive. It's actually authoritative and truthful. So when I have something in my life and I see Scripture says something different, I have to change. That's what it means to submit myself to God. So are you a student of the Scripture? I encourage you, make some sacrifices. Make some sacrifices to study God's Word. Make some sacrifices in time to memorize his word, to lead your family, set aside a time after dinner to read with your family. Those are things we should be pursuing. Listen, apart or along with reading God's word, read good theologically minded books. If you're not sure where to start, I can lend you tons of books from Pastor Terry's office. Okay? He has tons of books and they're pretty good books. So I can just lend those to you. I keep all of mine on my computer so you can't get those but I can give you Terry's books. But we have a well, our bookstore, where we have tons of books in there that we're trying to provide to church members to equip you. And we're doing it for cost. We're not trying to make any money, but if you're not sure what to read, come talk with us. We'd love to tell you, hey, this would be a great book. So one book that comes to mind we're reading right now, most of us on staff have read it, but it's Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer by Paul David Tripp. We sell it in the well, but it teaches us how to do ministry in the church. And it's about broken people like you helping broken people like me glorify God. That's what it's about. Understanding our brokenness and how God wants to use our brokenness to help others who are broken. That's what it means to understand 
truth. So may we continue to pursue God in our right thinking and in Jesus Christ himself. He is the center of truth. Would you pray with me and then we'll go into a time of worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your truths. God, we are to be centered on your word. It is practical. It is truthful. You've given it to us to change our thinking. When our thinking changes, it changes how we listen. It changes how we speak to others. It changes our marriages, our relationships, our jobs. It changes all of those things. God, may we be a people that come to church to be equipped by your word. When we're hearing these sermons, may we be listening how to go do ministry, the works of ministry in our community. God, we want to be a church that reaches out. There are those around us who are struggling, and we have the truth. So God, give us boldness to live that in our own lives, but give us boldness to also help others who are struggling in need of truth as well. God, we thank you, and we pray that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, As we end this morning, it's in Jesus' name. Amen.